Hey lunatics, you're listening to Let the Meat Grass, a podcast exploring real food, broken ecosystems, and a better way to live. I'm Austin Williams, your farmer and podcast host. Before I began farming, I was a public school teacher who had grown up in the suburbs of St. Louis. And if you were like me, you had no idea what was real or who to trust when it came to our food. If you're listening to this podcast, there's a chance you've begun to doubt what huge food corporations are trying to sell you is as healthy as it's cracked up to be. And for good reason. I'm dedicating this show to you, the lunatics, the crazies, who have chosen to opt out, to stray beyond the safe and familiar confines of grocery store walls to support a farmer. And not just any farmer, but a farmer whose mission is to heal the land and nourish the people. You see, conventional farms are dying. We've been losing farmers for well over a century now. When 100% of us eat and only 1% of us farm, we have a math problem. Help me do the math by sticking around, listening closely, and voting with your forks to support real food. See you soon. In America, we love our farmers. From personal experience, I can say that it's hard to get more across-the-board love than being a middle school teacher, but farming definitely takes the cake. I've literally had people cry right in front of me when I tell them that I farm. It's this weird mix of joy, wonder, and rarity all mixed into one. It's really hard to know how I should react, but I usually figure something out. Young people who farm tend to bring misty eyes to the old-timers. I hear from older folks all the time about how they had to sell off their farm or how they remember when their family farm was fully operational. It's always tinged with serious regret and disappointment. Young people who farm are kind of like unicorns. You hear that they might exist somewhere out there or like a paradoxical statement. You can have this, or you can have that, but you can't have this and that. As of 2012, the age of the average U.S. farmer was 58. It's been rising for 30 years, and there's no reason to believe it hasn't gone up since then. Fewer and fewer kids are coming back to work on the family farm. Here's some more statistics. In the 1940s, the average farm in the U.S. was around 175 acres. In 2018, that same farm was now 443 acres. The U.S. land zoned relative to farming has decreased slightly over the last 20 years, from 913 million acres to about 900 million acres. The average acreage goes up while the total land area goes down. It seems that the farms are consolidating at an increased pace. And consolidating is a nice word for, we're losing farmers fast. It's true that there's a lot of volatility when farming conventionally. You have to sell your products on the commodity market, which means that you can't set your own prices. You take whatever the market says they're worth. There's no such thing as value adding. You have to borrow money in the spring with the hopes that the commodity market on a single product like corn or soybeans remains steady for several months. Yeah, it's often a recipe for disaster. I really appreciate just how much people venerate American farmers. I often, though, wonder why that is. 
I mean, imagine people approaching lawyers in the street and crying over how beautiful an occupation it is. Or an accountant. Or maybe a marketing specialist. What other business profession gets this kind of praise? Well, teaching for one. And teachers usually get praised because almost everyone agrees they are notoriously underpaid for the work they do compared with the crap they have to put up with. I don't think a single person ever told me I made too much money as a teacher. I think farmers get praised due to a not insignificant amount of pity. It's kind of understood that farmers feed people, which is an essential task for survival of our species, but don't become millionaires. Don't get me wrong, we're not millionaires either, but our farm is doing really well. We're thriving. Rather than 58, the average age of our employees and our wives is around 25. We sell direct rather than stake our bet on the commodity market. We're adding employees, growing our customer base, and not going into any debt. Debt just isn't part of our business philosophy. American farmers collectively hold over $400 billion in debt. The average farm has over $1.3 million in debt. That's crushing to mental and physical health. No wonder the average kid doesn't want to walk back onto the family farm after high school when his or her parents are swimming in debt right up to their eyeballs. When I meet other farmers, they usually don't have our same optimistic tone. Their futures are largely determined by forces outside of their control. But there's one woman who's trying to change that. Her name is Lucinda Cramsley. I met Lucinda several months ago when she toured one of our farms. We're partners in her business venture called Moink. That's a combination of moo and oink, if you didn't catch it. You might have seen her appear on Shark Tank, but if you haven't, she aims to help farmers sell directly to consumers. I'll let her tell her own story. She's pretty good at it. So Lucinda, thank you so much for joining me uh, on the Let Them Eat Grass podcast. Uh, I was really drawn to what you're doing and to your your mission and your background uh, when I met you several months ago. So one, if you could, could you just like introduce yourself to the listeners? I just give a quick bio, however you feel like you want to describe yourself. Go for it. <laughs> a hot mess. Does that work? Okay. That uh, works. <laughs> okay. So I'm Lucinda Cramsey. I'm the founder of a company called Moink, which is Moo plus Oink. And essentially what we do in short is that we ship high quality meat um, across the country, right? In the long version... I'm actually an eighth generation farmer, and I know firsthand the struggles that farmers face having, you know, grown up on the farm. Now I'm married to a farmer, a farmer myself, et cetera. Um, our food system is broken. We got a lot of, lot of problems. And I do feel like the day of reckoning for the small family farm is long overdue. So what I have done with Moink is say, all right, it doesn't have to be this way. And let's take away all that it is and say, how should it work? And then see if we can create that, right? So I have yep. been catapulted onto a national stage from my little tiny town of 600 people because mm -hmm. I was 
on a show called Shark Tank, which some yeah. people have heard about, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, right. um, which is nice because now I feel like, you know, I might not be the most likely spokesperson for the family farm. You know, I'm a little rough around the edges and probably wear my jeans too tight, my lipstick too red. But I am uh, honored to um, step up and maybe bring some awareness to the plight of the small family farm that people don't actually realize we're up against. Mm-hmm. You've actually covered like of the four or five feeder questions I have. You covered like <laughs> six of them. You touched on all of them. So like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to reach into yeah. your big long description of yourself and kind of pick right. things out. So you said that the family farm has reached their day of reckoning. And I'm just like, what is, you describe to our listeners, like what's the state of the average farm in the U S like, like, you know, we're kind of painted this idyllic picture a lot of times of what farming is like, like what's it really like? Like what's, the actual family farm doing right now on average? Yeah. Okay. Let me tell you a story. Mm-hmm. I think in general, when the consumer goes to the grocery store, they do not say, today I'm going to buy me a tortured chicken and screw over a farmer. Said nobody ever. And if you did say that, I can't know you because there's something wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> However, the reality is, When the consumer goes to the grocery store, that's exactly what happens. Let me give it to you by the numbers, Austin. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, 99% of the chicken, 95% of the hogs, 78% of the cattle in the United States are raised in confinement buildings or feedlots. 80% of the antibiotic use in the United States is consumed by our animals. Okay, so one has to wonder, If this is what's happening, why is it that the farmers, what what is their state in this, right? Because the opposite side of that is no farmer ever got up and said, today I'm going to find out how many chickens I can fit in a tiny little box and how much antibiotics I can give them. No, ain't nobody ever said that. However, what the farmer says is they get up and say, look, I'm looking to try to make a living. And how do I do that? So oftentimes, uh, farmers kind of backed into this corner because our pricing is set through the Chicago Board of Trade or someone on Wall Street or something I don't even understand. (sighs) Now, however, before we get this bright idea that farmers are getting rich, let me give you this statistic. On average, the small family farm loses money every year to the tune of $3,000 on average. Okay. So what you have right now on the state of the family farm is it's a losing proposition. In other words, it's not financially viable. Okay. So that will lead us to the next question. Why do farmers farm? In other words, if you were to go to your job every day for a year and at the end of the year have to pay for the privilege of having that job, why would you do it? Why would you do it, right? I mean, what is wrong with us? Well, let me tell you what's wrong with us. It is a, it, it's a culture, you know, it's a way of life. And it's a belief that if you put your head down and keep trying, eventually you might hit a good lick, right? So for instance, my family farm that's been in my family all these generations, you don't want to be the person that loses that. It's more than a piece of dirt right? It is what our, what our, our 
forefathers passed down to us, maybe laden with debt or not. You know, we were given this piece of dirt to create a life. Um, and also some people are just made to be farmers. You know, my my husband, God bless him, sweetest man in the world. He's a lot better with animals than he is with people. <laughs> you know, he was just uh, born to be heart. on the land. Uh-huh. So anyway, that is a long version to say right now it is not pretty. For the American farmer, only 2% of Americans are farmers and 100% of us eat. So you can do the math on that one to find out that um, the farmer's success is America's success because it's our food security. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, when you told that to me several months ago, there's part of my intro to my podcast that says that we have a math problem. Uh, and that, that's that was inspired by you. Uh, when two percent of us farm and a hundred percent of us eat, yep. we have a math problem. Yeah, we sure so do. I'm really, mm-hmm. really happy that you're trying to solve that um, with Moink. Yeah. So you said you're an eighth generation farmer. How far back does that go? And what did your ancestors farm? Like, what was <clears throat> what were they into? Yeah. So my fifth great grandmother comes here from Kentucky, right? So we were in the Northeast and then moved to the to Kentucky. And I always laugh. Let me let me digress here for a moment and say I always laugh when people look at me and th- and and literally ask that you're a farmer, female, young, you know, uh, compare comparatively speaking, the average farmer is 58 years old in the United States, and I'm in my 30s, um, breaking stereotypes, and always say, well, you know, I come from a long line of strong women, so you better believe I know how to fight for the family farm. Um, but my fifth great grandmother, she starts out in Kentucky and, and comes to Missouri um, to settle here and on the way loses her husband. OK, so she comes on um, to Missouri to farm. And, uh, you know, at that time they had some cattle. They did a little bit of row crop, but not how we do row crop. Right. It was more of a biodynamic farm. And then through the generations, it's been a lot of milking cows and uh, not commercial farming as we know it, right? Um, more biodynamic, but believe it or not, their main crop that they first rose here in Missouri was hemp. Okay. How, yep. pro- how progressive. How progressive, right? Uh, so anyway, yeah. um, we have real good soil here here in the uh, in Missouri. Uh, I'll spare you the science lesson, but if anybody wants to dig into it, it's because of the glacier that we once had, and uh, so that's why we have that deep, dark soil here in Missouri. That's really good for uh, raising different things. But we have hills, so um, it's also good for animals because of those hills. But anyway, yeah, eighth generation farmer. And, uh, you know, I grew up on a biodynamic farm, you could say. We, we raised hogs and cattle and row crops and, and lots of different items, you know, different productions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you start, you go from hemp, you go to biodynamic, you know, five generations later, you come to you who started Moink. So like what? What I mean, people usually don't wake up someday and think I'm going to spend insane amounts of time and money founding my own company unless they see a big problem or they hit a wall that was so big and so tall and so large and so hard that they had to change the way things were were going. Like, what was it for you that was the catalyst to starting Moink? Like, what what 
in your farm or in your life had to change? Wow, Austin, you make that sound like that that maybe I thought that through. (laughs) (laughs) As if I had some deep philosophical moment Uh that made me want to start a business. No, um, let me tell you what it was. I actually spent many, many years in the organic produce uh, business, setting up small little produce hubs across the country, right? Like CSAs. And uh, when I met my husband, it was his life goal to return to a family farm. He grew up on one and farm. So I thought everybody should do what they want to do in life. So we, you know, traded in our home in the suburbs, cashed in all our life savings and came back home and, and bought a farm about a mile from where I grew up. Right. And so the first thing that Adam did when we got here was he started raising hogs. And the reason he did that is because when we lived on the East Coast, I refused to eat meat from the grocery store, pork specifically, because to me, it tasted like a confinement building smell. (laughs) Like ammonia. Just nasty. So at any rate, Adam just, you know, what's a guy got to do to get a pork chop? And so I told him if he would raise some hogs like my mama used to do outside on clean green grass. I'd cook him all the pork chops his heart desired. So that's what he started doing. He started raising hogs, right? And so amazing pork. But we realized once he started raising those hogs, first of all, I couldn't be the only person in this country with a pork chop problem, right? But secondly, even though we had a significant life savings behind us, right? We did all the things. We saved our money. We, we, Adam put 25% of his paycheck in savings since the time he was 17, right? So we did everything you're supposed to do. And we bought this farm and we realized that the way that everything was happening, we were in the same boat as everybody else. We were about to lose everything because it's not financially sustainable. The way that Adam raises hogs, should he sell them through the normal channels, we would lose money, massive amounts of money, right? And then add in a farm payment and health insurance and two babies and all this kind of stuff. Something had to be different. So I thought about it. I said, you know, Adam, what if we do it like we used to do produce? What if we just aggregate our products with other farmers and and cut out all these middlemen and uh, go straight to the consumer and we ship it to them? Right. Because just because somebody doesn't live where I live, which nobody lives here, I can tell you that there's like <laughs> 600 of us in the, in the entire uh-huh. town, doesn't mean they shouldn't have access to this high quality meat. And just because we choose to um, challenge the norm doesn't mean that Adam and I should, should go belly up. I don't think. I mean, I feel like we should we deserve at least a fair shake at farming. Right. Yeah. And um, I, I so think. anyway, that that's where the idea came from. And then the more we got into it, you know, I have always been moved, had a passion for small family farms because I grew up on one. Uh, my father took his own life uh, through some hardships that we had on the farm. Um, so it's always been near and dear to my heart. Right. Yeah. And 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 getting into this arena of meat and realizing how broken this system is, feeling that that pain upon my own heart, and then realizing how much we have the power to make a difference. You know, like, is it easy? 
no, no, it's definitely not. Is it, are there days in which I feel like I'm fighting an uphill battle? Oh, you better believe it. But I expect it's worth the fight because, again, going back to this whole math problem, it's not just my farm I'm fighting for, right? It's other people's farms. It's America's dinner plate that I'm going, come on now, listen, we're going to have to do something different. So anyway, that's that's was a very long-winded answer, too. I can't even remember the question. <laughs> <laughs> you did a very good job answering it. So, I, and once again, I'm very heartbroken to hear about your dad and the circumstances he passed away in. And that kind of that kind of embedded in that was another one of my questions is like, so now you you went into this because you wanted to cut away the middlemen and you know sell from farmers direct to you know the customer. So like does supporting you still mean that I'm supporting a real farmer? Like if I buy through you, <clears throat> does that mean still mean that I'm supporting a farmer? Well, you don't think I made that meat in a lab, do you, Austin? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, we have a very direct impact on, on not just my own farm, but other people's farms. Absolutely. And, and one of the things here, the challenges that we have is to make the stories of the family farm real, right? Yeah. Because my farm, my fam, my story and my family, although it might be a common theme, right? That we struggle, that we've had a burden. Every farmer has their own story to tell of their own triumphs, their own struggles. And I can speak from personal experience and to a lot of farmers that I have spoken to. Sometimes it's just the idea of knowing that somebody, well, cares, right? That they want to know what you're doing, that they appreciate your hard work, right? Of what goes into it. But absolutely, we, we, um, in terms of, let me give you some real numbers here, right? Yes, please. Everybody likes numbers. Let's talk oh, yeah. numbers. Mm. <laughs> let me, let me back up and touch on that thing that you brought up about, you know, my father. Little known fact, farmers are more likely to commit suicide than veterans. Okay. That ought to tell you in one statement. And one statement, and I say that because this is uh, Mental Health Awareness Month, and one statement ought to tell you what we're up against, okay? But secondly, as far as impact on farmers, in comparison to, say, you know, one of these big four meat companies that control 80% of the meat industry here in the United States, by comparison, we pay 800% more to the farmer. There's your math. Okay, that's the wow. direct impact that you are having when you buy from Moink, 800% more. Now, also, though, let me back up and tell you before anybody gets above their raisin here about money and ideas. Um, even with that 800% more, it's still it's still an uphill battle, Austin, because so many farmers have had such a bad string of luck and been yeah. pushed down for so many years that a lot of people are in a hole, a big hole, right? And yeah. so this is mm -hmm. just saying, okay, we're going to give a fair price. It's not retribution for, for all the horrible years they had to endure with a broken food system. Now, again, I need to digress and, and let people know that although I am passionate, and I hope you hear it in my voice that I am, I think it's very important to, for people to understand that a farmer does not want people's sympathy. 
right? It's not woe is us, poor me. No, it's saying all we want is a fair shake, an opportunity to make an honest day's pay for an honest day's work, to give our children the opportunity to be farmers if that's what they choose, right? To put food on our tables, considering we feed America, seems like that should be a a thing we ought to be able to do. So anyway, (laughs) those are some of my my passion points. But to circle back to your original question as far as when you buy from Moink, does it have a direct impact on farmers? You better believe it. That's really really good to hear. So what's in in choosing what farmers' stories that you want to highlight and what farmers that you want to supply Moink, what's your dedication to quality and transparency? What's my dedication to quality and transparency? Yeah, so what yeah, what what do you do to ensure that you're picking the kind of farmers who are raising really ethical food? Um and yeah, how are you how do you communicate that transparency to your customers? <clears throat> well, let me tell you something, Austin. In general, people don't read. I hate to break that to you. But every bit of science says that people will, you have to put information in front of people on multiple ways, in different avenues, um, in different faucets, right? So for instance, we have these monthly inserts that go into our boxes in which we put a farmer's story, but then we'll have to, we, we follow that up on social media. We, you know, we, we have to tell the story more than once. Yeah. so that people will read it, right? And how do we how do we choose which farmers we're going to spotlight? You know, there's no real rhyme or reason to which one we put in our monthly insert, to be quite honest. Maybe if we have a chicken recipe, we'll probably put chicken farmer in there. Um, as far as quality, um, I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding of the supply chain. There is seems to be this undercurrent of distrust from farmer to farmer sometimes, from consumer to the quote-unquote system, which I understand because there's four companies that control 80%. But here at Moink, we take a different approach. We find people that are willing and want to kind of get in on this movement, right? That they understand where we're going. Farms that say, yes, I want a different way. Because when you do that, it's no longer about let me lord over you and make sure you're doing every little thing the way it should be. And are you cutting corners? It becomes here's where we're going and how can we help each other get there? So our farmers that we supply from are our partners in this movement, right? And secondly, here's the other thing. You can't raise animals the way we raise animals and cut corners and not have them die. So it's a pretty easy way Uh (laughs) to make sure somebody ain't cutting corners Uh (laughs) because you cannot put a chicken outside on grass, not give it antibiotics, which is all the things we do, right? We we don't use antibiotics. We, We raise chickens on grass. You cannot do that and not move them on a regular basis, not take care of them, unless you want them to die, right? So it's kind of a, uh, it's a pretty easy check on that one. But our farmers become somewhat like family with us because we're all, again, every species has its own struggle, right? Whether it be chicken, beef, uh, lamb, even salmon, 
believe it or not. We, we buy from the only independent fisherman in Bristol Bay, Alaska. He's got his own set of struggles. And so it, it's a beautiful thing in the sense of it's nice. I know me personally, it's very encouraging to be surrounded by other farmers that are trying to do the same thing that we are, that we're all in this together, trying to fix this broken food system because on your bad days, you got somebody who knows what it's like when you're outside at 5 a.m. in the dark, which I am deathly afraid of, breaking ice on a hog water while the consumer is uh, ripping on you for something I don't even understand, right? Because they, why didn't you have enough chicken breast? Well, honey... There's mm-hmm. only so much on a chicken, right? Uh, like, what do you yeah. think? Chicken, bre- chicken breast raise, uh, grow on sticks or something? I mean, Lord. Um, anyway, so this is um, part of that whole transparency and, and, and telling that story is, is to really change the perspective. But yes, we do have a set of standards that we follow, but there's no label that covers all the things right? Because at Moink, we do all the things. We're not just, you know, you have these organic labels, these grass-fed, you have this, that, and the other. None of those labels tell you how the farmer was treated, okay? That's important. You don't buy your clothes from a sweatshop, I hope. So why would you buy your food from one? Doesn't make sense. And so anyway, Moink is more than just a, just organic or, or biodynamic. We're all the things, Okay, so that's that's part of the, you know, making sure that the our our food system all the way through from the way that my business does business to the way that the farmer is treated, the animal is treated and everybody in between, because there's lots of people in between. Right. There's the people that actually uh, process the animals, which is to make them dead and how they're treated, which, again, an overlooked part of our society that is so necessary. Right. But that's important. So anyway, again, a long-winded answer to tell you we do all the things plus some. That's really good to hear. And so <laughs> that really leads me to my, my last question, which, and you you hinted at it in your answer, which is like you wanted to partner with farmers to get to the same place. And so, because you're going somewhere is what you said. So where are you going? Like what, and that's kind of like, what's your dream for Moink? Like what is you know, you're kind of like the pipe dream, the kind of over the, over the moon, like what is, what's your dream for it? Like, what do you want this to become? A day of reckoning <laughs> for the small family <laughs> bar. Uh-huh. Look, we're going to fix the food system. Come hell or high water, do or die trying, right? Um, we're going to fix it. And so my idea for Moink is right now we sell these meat boxes, these meat bundles. But at the end of the day, what I would like Moink to be is a sustainable, economically, socially just business that allows farmers to farm and people to eat. I mean, I'm not trying to say I'm ambitious, but I guess I am because (laughs) I'm stepping right up and saying my plan for Moink is to fix America's food system. Plain and simple. That's where we're going. And it's not a matter of if, can, or should. We will. It, it might take us a while, but uh-huh. we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. Lucinda, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Uh, you've, you've been a wonderful, wonderful guest. Um, 
any of our listeners, uh, once again, Lucinda is the founder of Moink. Uh, it's an online company that has only the highest standards and only the highest uh, respect for farmers. And the food that you get from them is absolutely fantastic. So thank you, Lucinda. Um, I yeah. look forward to possibly having you on the show again sometime. Thank you, Austin. I truly appreciate it. Hey, Lunatics. If you have any questions or thoughts about this episode or want to sponsor a future one, follow me on Twitter at Missouri Austin or shoot me an email to austin at letthemeatgrass.org. I might even include your question along with my answer at the end of my next episode. If you live in the Missouri area and want to take the next step in radically protecting the health of you and your family, you can buy some of our pasture-raised food at my friend David's website, fedfromthefarm.com. That's F-E-D, fedfromthefarm.com. And use the offer code PDCST, like podcast without the vowels, for $10 off your next order. I am shamelessly promoting this, but since I manage this farm and personally take care of the animals, this is the only operation I can wholeheartedly endorse. We have buying clubs in Kansas City, Columbia, Jeff City, Washington, St. Charles, Chesterfield, and St. Louis that we drive to either once a week or once every two weeks. Don't be strangers. I want to hear from you. If you order food from fedfromthefarm.com, put a note in the comments section that you heard about us through this podcast. I'm attempting something revolutionary here. Due to my city delivery schedule, I would consistently get to meet my subscribers. I would love to swap stories, share laughs, and hear the story of what convinced you to become a lunatic. If I see you a few times, I'll probably even invite you to our farm. We do those tours free of charge. If you really enjoyed this podcast, subscribe or download it on whatever podcast directory you use. If you're using iTunes and are feeling mighty generous with the next five minutes of your life, please rate it and leave a review. The more reviews I get, the better my chances of being featured in a spotlight. And as self-serving as that sounds, the more attention this podcast gets means that I get to improve the production quality for you. Right now, I've managed to keep my entire budget for starting under 100 bucks. The music, cover art, and sound design have all been done by friends or relatives out of the goodness of their hearts. With your subscriptions and reviews, I can turn this podcast from a bi-weekly to a weekly podcast if I can start generating an income stream. But I'll need sponsors for that. Production assistance was provided by the kissable Kelly Williams. That's my wife. Music was performed by the bodacious Brandon Nelson. If you like Scandinavian folk music, you can find his album Old Yarns by Eloin, that's E-L-O-I-G-N, at Bandcamp. Cover art was drawn by the radical Rebecca Rabin. Fact-checking was done by the daring David Boatwright. And sound engineering was done by the jubilant Jeffrey Hook. If you want any of these marvelous people to help you with your projects, just let me know. That's all I have for now. Until next time, how's Saudi?